0: Do you want to go into stasis for the rest of the trip and forfeit 18 months' wages? Do you want to listen to Dwarfcast by Ganymede and Titan? Choose. Awoga, this is a Dwarfcast. It's party time! (laughs) Hello, ho, ho, and welcome to the Dwarfcast Book Club Christmas Party, brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. This is the series where we reread, discuss, and dissect the four Red Dwarf novels part by part. And in an expertly planned piece of timing, which was definitely deliberate, our final podcast of the year brings the second book, Better Than Life, to a close, with chapter four, The End, and After. But because it's just 12 pages long, it might be considered a somewhat short chapter. We're also going to be treating you to a special festive edition of Wafflemen, bringing you some brandy soaked waffles on Christmas related topics. But oh, where are my manners? I'm Ian Signs, and I'd like to introduce you to your fellow party guests. Currently eight beers in and talking loudly about the evil of parsnips to anyone who'll listen is Jonathan Caps. Hi. They look like chips. Fuckers. And hanging out in the kitchen so that he gets first dibs at each beige buffet item that gets passed by is Danny Stevenson. Hello. Plus, as always, we've been visited by the spirits of our loyal listeners slash readers who've been leaving comments and questions over at www.ganyme.tv. One last thing before the disc, goal, oh, if you've indulged a little too much over the Christmas period already, then you might require a little recap of the story so far. Having crashed on an ice planet, Lister heads out onto the surface, but gets trapped in a highly corrosive acid rainstorm. After that, it starts raining oil. He eventually figures out that he's on Earth, which has been renamed Garbage World and designated as the solar system's rubbish dump, before breaking free of its orbit and drifting into deep space. Lister challenges the planet to kill him but it gets rescued by a giant cockroach. Back on Red Dwarf, the crew escape the black hole by flying into it and rebounding back out via the Omnizone, a portal between parallel universes. They go to rescue Lister, but due to time dilation, 34 years have passed and he's made a house out of rubbish. He hatches a plan to tow Earth home, but when another Lister is found, they realise the planet is rattled with polymorphs. (laughs) Torky defeats one by firing hot ashtrays at it, but another stows away when they return to Red Dwarf, where it enacts the episode Polymorph. At the end, when the polymorph is blown up by heat-seeking bullets, Lister is found dead of a heart attack. And so on to part four, uh, he comes back to life again and goes and lives with Kachansky. Okay, and so that <laughs> wraps up another edition of the Dwarfcast. <laughs> There's absolutely no logical problems with it at all. <laughs> so yeah, we've we've spoken previously about the structure of this book being a bit different to the first one, and yeah, it's, this is just a little, it's a coder really. Yeah. It's like the the book. I mean, it would have been a fairly downbeat and horrible ending, but the book could have ended already. But this is this is the uh, the resolution and the return to status quo. Nearly <laughs> the 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 promise of the return to status quo. Uh,
1: presumably, this book was meant to be followed by a book that was written by Grant Naylor, right? Yeah, the, the last human, human. the okay. last human. So I wonder. Whether they knew that wasn't going to happen, and that's why this exists. That's because really interesting. I have a feeling that this was put in just to kind of not tie up. Like, if it was going to be the last book, this would tie it up. But because they weren't sure as to whether it was going to be the last book, or they they knew they might read, you know, create go their separate ways. Maybe this is. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> I wonder whether it's a like it's teeing it up
0: if it wasn't going to have another book following. I think it's too early for them to have been thinking about splitting up at this stage. Because the, the, pl- the plan was, up until about 1993, they were planning to do The Last Human, the third book, as Grant Naylor. But yeah, I think definitely there was probably an element like like the same with the TV series where you think you're probably going to get a next one. Yeah. Either a next series or a next book, but because it's not 100% guaranteed, you want to make sure that it makes sense and is a satisfying ending just in case it and is isn't. And it's depressing ending. as well.
1: So it's probably got nothing to do with the fact that it was the, to do with the split it's just the fact of being just tying up loose ends with the book specifically.
2: If anything, it's a bit of an albatross for both of the individual books. When we get to yeah. it, one of them ignores it, one of them leans into it. Or not ignores it, one of them, you know, tries to get away from it as quickly as possible, and the other one leans into it. And it's almost like a oh shit, you have to deal we have to do something with this cliffhanger. Whereas if it had ended with just Lister was dead, you could kind of pick things up in a kind of a more unique way. So if anything, this is here with the joint book in mind. Yeah, I would say 100%.
0: When we got to the end of Infinity, it could have ended there and you could interpret it as in the end they got got out of the game and everything was fine, but instead they left it there so that they could pick up the sequel and start the sequel still in the game. Yeah, Here it's giving them the option to either pick up on Backwards World and pick Lister up and, and go back to normal from there, or just say that that's happened and carry on. And in the end, both uh, of those routes, both mm. of those possibilities happened. But that's for a future Dwarf cast. We're skipping ahead a bit because first, I mean, this is literally 12 pages long. So we might as well go through it in, in chronological order. Give it some stress. so Ignore the backward stuff that we've just mentioned. That's that's a surprise. <laughs> um, it starts off with Lister's funeral and a Cinsano Bianco joke yeah
2: imagine my surprise <laughs> <laughs>
0: i had forgotten that this particular one was there and it seems to be that lister drunkenly at some stage worked out his last will and testament in a way that is just slightly piss-taking and is designed to make it to like to make rimmer suffer mostly
2: yeah i think everyone has this it's like they have a moment where it's like Oh for my funeral i'm gonna make all you fuckers do this like yeah <laughs> that's a kind of a common thing
0: But Rimmer being Rimmer, took it solemnly and seriously and decided to enact it.
2: Which is actually really sweet. In fact, International Debris says, Rimmer following Lister's will to the last misspelled letter is further enhancing his growth as a character. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling it's something we lose with the solo novels, but it's really the nicest Rimmer ever becomes. And they're right, because this is like a natural progression as well. We've been talking about Rimmer softening towards Lister since Better Than Life, basically, or like just after they come out of Better Than Life. So yeah, it's a nice little kind of end to that
0: and it, it gets even more extreme like Rimmer is genuinely really upset about what's happened to lister yeah and holly is as well <laughs> it's yeah. something i noticed like holly's only in this very briefly obviously but even in the few seconds um that he's turned on with his limited lifespan and his super intelligence he still takes a moment to pause and sort of take in the news it's yeah. not spelt out but it seems like holly is sad about it which is a lovely little touch I
2: mean, I guess it's the say it's born out of the same thing, but this kind of the the taking the effort to come up with a solution, I guess, is born out of that, like you know, not wanting him to be dead and you know wanting to do something. Mm.
0: And then Rimmer takes it takes his development even further and shows his feelings for Lister, but, where he experiences joy for the first time in his life, according to yeah, according to this, it's like this is something that he's never felt before. And it's because they can save Lister and because they can bring Lister back to life, yeah, well that's what he thinks is going on because holly's got a plan
2: Holly's well, got a plan he um, and Rimmer has the opportunity to be part of a um a successful a successful venture that actually has some meaning <laughs> behind it because it is it's interesting <laughs> how rimmer this is like it Rimmer's way of grieving his best friend dying is being able to kind of um be officious he he gets mm. he gets to express his grief through being officious, which is following his orders to the letter where it also yeah. happens to be really sweet and um you know a tribute you know to to how he feels about this stuff,
0: really yeah that's how he copes yeah
2: yeah, an interesting point, going back to international debris comments about rimmer um so Rimmer saying by man. Um, it's hard to imagine, uh, hard to imagine, come from him yet. It's uh, one of the most moving Rimmer lines in the whole of the entire franchise. I agree that it is one of the most um, moving lines, but I can imagine it coming from him. And I think this comes back to something we talked about many episodes ago, where Rimmer, as Trixie, said, you know, she was going for a leak. And we're like, ah, oh, Rimmer wouldn't really say that and i i think at the time we said well this this is rimmer with his guard down this is like mm-hmm. almost like your rimmer would just you know um toss off slang and stuff like that when he's not trying to put this front up and so mm-hmm. rimmer without his front would absolutely say bye man you know yeah in in that kind of more human way mm-hmm. uh, which i think adds to uh, the movingness of that of that particular line
1: i can hear i can hear it's almost like i can hear chris mm mm-hmm doing an impression of craig when he does it like he's doing yeah. it in sort of like in lister's mm-hmm. tone do you know yeah. what i mean
2: And good friends do that i mean i think this is maybe some people do this more than others i definitely do this that some people are kind of have a chameleon sort of aspect to them where they start that they, they pick up ticks and mannerisms and things that like turns of phrases from the people around them Quite a yeah. lot, especially if you know you're either doing something with that person or you know talking about them, you end up speaking like they did. I,
0: yeah, I definitely do that. So, the first time I went to Dimension Jump, I came back scouse. <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> my tease came back
1: when I went to Dimension Jump for the first time because I was no longer in Yorkshire. <laughs> so that, so.
2: Nature was healing. Oh <laughs> <All> my <laughs>
1: Life uh, finds a way. Uh, The
2: exact opposite happens to me is like uh, every week having my mum with the boy, and then when I'm finished, my partner's like, God, you sound Yorkshire right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It gets supercharged.
1: It's interesting actually because the following the coffin thing does really make me think of. And I said Natural Born Rimmers then, but that's not the name of it.
0: Danny is a fan of the soundtrack.
1: (laughs) It's the Stoke Me Clipper, right? It's just that whole whole idea. So there's a lot of this stuff that was still...
2: Add it to Doug's um, self-plagiarizing
1: list, (laughs) to be honest. I mean, self-plagiarizing is otherwise known as writing.
2: Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, yeah, my, 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 like there's there's a long list of stuff that specifically it's been mined for. Kane. Solo dog, yeah, um, but it's good though. It's, it's yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He picks all the good stuff.
1: This whole section is very fast paced. Like Rimmer is whipping through the ship mm. trying to get to White Giant, and yeah, you know, it, like he's even from the sound of it. And I'm trying to work this out. It seems like as if he started the ship up before Cat and the Crown have got in. Yeah, yeah, because they left off the hovering to embarkation ramp. So it's like they literally, if they were any, if they were any slower, they wouldn't have made it onto the ship. So it's like he'd literally he'd signed up the ship without being without anyone else being there, which is interesting.
2: And this is all purely on faith in Holly as well. Like he doesn't know what the fuck they're even what they're doing.
1: I think after the Whitehall incident, he was just like, yeah, we're going to trust anything Holly does from this yeah. point on.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's probably got it better than we have. A comment from Dave as picks up on a few of the points that we've made ourselves so far. Copycat. He says inevitably Rimmer organising Lister's funeral here makes me think about Lister organising Rimmer's funeral in Stoke Me a Clipper. Yeah. In both it's a nice moment of resolution for their relationship where they allow themselves to realise that they really do care for each other. And as for the Cinzano Bianco, clearly it's to signify that even when they put Lister in a coffin they couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. It's a good
2: finale to the Cinzano Bianco saga. <laughs>
0: Which, if you don't know, there was a an argument sparked in that, on our forum. Was it on our forum? Yeah, a few weeks ago, about what the meaning of the chin, of Dave Chinzano Bianco Lister is. Oh yeah, in uh, in Whitehall, uh, with some people thinking that it was because it le- it would leave a stain on the table. Um, and correct people thinking it's because it's a, it's a joke about it being a horrible drink that no one wants to pick up, and so it gets left on the table because no one wants to drink it. Yeah. And it escalated to the point where someone actually went and asked Rob Grant on Twitter, <laughs> and he, and he confirmed that the joke was that it's horrible and no one wants to drink it yeah so I have gone like it's like phases phases through your life
2: I went through a phase where I thought it was the stain I think maybe I originally thought that but a long while ago I've switched
1: I think it's really hard for me to think of it as anything else that is not the stain because I, cause I think it was because it was talking about a pool table as well yeah and that's when it made me feel it was like a joke about a stain in a pub as well specifically so that's what kind of drove home that idea yeah,
2: of, when you think of a pub.
1: Yeah, it, it obviously yeah. makes more sense as, you know, a drink that the person brings and doesn't drink themselves.
0: Oh, the, the smoking gun is that um chinzano Bianco is is clear. Clear, yeah. <laughs> it's a clear liquid. <laughs> uh And so if you were if you were robin Doug in the nineties and you were writing a joke about something that would stain, you wouldn't say Cinzano Bianca, you'd say red wine or Vimto or Ribena or whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you were doing a joke about a shit drink, you might say Ginzano Bianco Again,
1: though, I was twelve when I first heard that joke, so I don't know what Chianti. <laughs> yeah. I assumed that Cinzano Bianco was just a drink, and therefore could have been whiskey, could have been anything. I didn't know what it was, so yeah, it's, it's weird. Italian. It's that like, initial <laughs> that initial thing has never really left my brain. As a oh yeah, yeah. until the,
0: someone points out that you know the obvious, yeah, what should be obvious to an adult, and I now
1: understand that. Uh, but there is still that thing in the back of my head that won't let go of that initial seed of a. Of, of how my brain initially <laughs> interpreted
2: it. Especially how much certain things are part of Red Dwarf is like, you just get embedded in you yeah. at a particular early age. And yeah, you're right. It's really hard. It's, it's like reading yeah. it's like reading scenes in the book that are in the TV shows that you, you can't, like your brain starts filling in blanks with stuff from the TV show and you just can't kind of get over like, it. You know, can rewrite it normal young Lister in polymorph rather than sixty year old Lister in polymorph. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Whereas to bring us nicely back on uh, track, this section of the book deals with backwards, but it's similar to the way you know this book is based on Better Than Life. It's not in any way a a redo of the episode. It's it's taking Mm. a concept that they used for one idea in the episode and doing doing it again. But with a whole different idea and a whole different plot, taking the raw concept and telling a different story with it.
2: Yeah, and this time you could tell they really wanted to nail down the the uh, the, the the concept and the and uh, and everything, and definitely not fuck up the logic uh, of backwards and make it absolutely watertight. And it's really good that they managed to do that.
0: Well, we'll come to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will, because the first part is um, the first part that's in backwards world where. It's it's again. It's one of those where I don't think we're supposed to know have figured out that it's backwards. No,
1: it, again, it's quite difficult to read this, not know it when you read it the first time. Obviously, yeah. the 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 twist is at the end of the chapter. But having read it again, it immediately obvious that we're talking about Lister. But you're not really you. You're not meant to know that. You're not meant to know. Yeah, that it. it's meant to be about this other old man that's walking around.
0: Uh, Do you know what? I hadn't even noticed that you don't know it's Lister. He doesn't mention him at all in the entire... It
1: doesn't mention... It says the old man. He always says the old man, the old man, he, he, it's all all been, it's all
0: been obscured. (sighs) And then right at the end... It says Retzel Divad. Retzel Divad, yeah. Yeah. So... I didn't even notice that. I thought the thing that we weren't supposed to have figured out yet was that it was all backwards. Not that it's all backwards, and this is Lister. It hadn't even occurred to me that that was a secret. <laughs> Whether or not you know it's Lister, it's um, it's really powerful. It's just really evocative and r- mysterious, even yeah. knowing all that stuff. Yeah. Because it it starts with someone dying in reverse, yeah, but from a first person perspective of like how they experienced. Death, but backwards. Yeah.
2: This year of all years is the only way I was going to be able to read about someone having a heart attack was in this direction, in reverse, where yeah. they're coming back to life.
0: <laughs> where it, everything's fine. Yeah.
2: So maybe the backwards timeline is the correct one <laughs> because uh, there's no fucking way I could have read this forwards.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even then, to be honest, it was a bit. Yeah. It got me a bit. But thankfully i then got distracted by um the cafe scene <laughs> which again like similar to the tv series the way that these people eat is like okay we get the <laughs> you know it's done in a certain way to show that it's backwards but lister stuffs an entire sandwich into his mouth <laughs> without chewing <laughs> that's Lister. <laughs> he, regurgita- he just like immediately regurgitates it whole so it's not been chewed or swallowed. <laughs> well, it has been swallowed, but it's not been chewed beforehand.
1: It does, yeah. If if you if you logically read that, yeah, because it says he reached up to his mouth and regurgitated to the perfectly shaped triangular tuna mayonnaise sandwich, which means that he literally just pushed that entire thing right down. Oh.
2: <laughs> well, if it was triangular, it would have been a part of a sandwich. You, you could easily smash. You can, it can easily. It you could easily smash bite.
1: it, but you wouldn't. But it, you.
0: But you didn't even like like he said. He didn't even chew it. He just well, imagine just if you'd just been
2: mugged go. and you were trying to calm yourself down.
0: Well, that was a, a surprising thing. Like He gets mugged and he has his wallet nicked. And obviously that's at the end of this chapter, but in backwards world. He gets mugged and his wallet's nicked and then he goes for a coffee and a sandwich. Like What's he going to pay with? Oh, that's true. I mean, he, d- he does, he must have had money because the waitress gives him change. Some people have their notes in their wallet
2: and their change loose in their pocket.
0: That's true. Or mm. well, maybe he was, was going to be... Look, I'm an old man and I've just got mugged. Can you give me a sandwich, please?
2: Yeah, but I think she gives him, and he mentions that she pushes some change. Yeah,
0: yeah, he does pay. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's not just him. When he looks around the cafe and looks at other people, you've got the woman stuffing an entire eclair into her mouth <laughs> in the same way. <laughs> woman in cafe, my favourite Red Dwarf character of all time, <laughs> does in backwards.
2: Amazing performance. Absolutely. I will probably mentioned this at the time, but just like the <laughs> wide eyes of like shoving in an
0: eclair into a car, brilliant. Although, having said about Lister being a, a shaky old man, uh, Pete Part 3 points out that the imagery of Lister here seems to be a doddery old man who shuffles around. He's only 61, and in the last part, he was said to be in pretty good nick for someone his age. It also always strikes me as how this seems to be set in nod null in the late eighties, early nineties, as per backwards. But there's no real elaboration on how Lister adapts to being out of his time again. I guess he's used to adapting to different circumstances. Yeah. Well, isn't he a bit doddery and all over the place because he's just been mugged?
1: Yes, that's true. I think that's what I think. It's just the fact that yeah, he's he's just not very well. Mid heart (laughs) attack. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's just been mugged and he's about to have a heart attack. So yeah. Presumably, he'll very quickly go back to his old self.
2: Yeah, it is. It is interesting though because maybe I don't know. Maybe in the eighties, being sixty was just was just older. I don't know. Like, do things happen in that short space of time? Do things change that much?
0: Uh, how much? Uh, quickly has the life expectancy changed? But then, uh, yeah, I remember that like seventy was considered a good innings when I was younger, and it's not anymore. Yeah, that's so.
2: true. That's true. And we are talking about the northwest here as well, which is <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. the third world country of the country. Not to be disparaging at all, but that is true
0: Well, you live there you? <laughs> Yeah, exactly You'd know <laughs> I'll give you a clue You live there You all live there <laughs> uh, And so, moving on to chapter 3, I guess <laughs> there's, there's only four bits Yeah So we might as well uh, the Toaster's back, everyone <laughs> hey, I'm
2: really glad they brought him back for... Um, some reason, <laughs> to so do a moose impression. This ma- this does actually make. I mean, <clears throat> it makes sense story wise, or makes sense character wise for Crichton because the first thing he would do as soon as he gets his guilt back would be to realize what he's done and to try and fix it. Yeah, he's trying to make amends for what he did in the in the previous chapter. But the, but what we do get is a, a slightly uncomfortable um, brain damage analogy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah.
0: <laughs> well. Take the rough with the smooth Yeah, you do, yeah (laughs) Dave says maybe Doug read the novels again before writing Trojan And realised just how funny (laughs) mooses are (laughs) Have you seen this about mooses? (laughs) And who was it? Oh yeah, this is Dave again uh, Said that they remember not understanding this section of the book In terms of what the canisters were and what they were searching for Yeah. And I think there was a bit of conversation in the comments about that Basically this is the bit where they go and find a bunch of canisters, and it's it's not actually explicitly pointed out at any point, but it's implied that these are all the remains of the crew. Of the crew, yeah. And the clue there is that it says in the prose that there's around 10,000 of them, and it's previously been established that in the book universe there's about 10,000 on board. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that Holly tells them to go to that quadrant to...
2: Like, no one seems to twig what the canisters are, whereas you'd think they would. So it must have been something that Lister did, like... Lister must have been the one to do all of these burials in inverted commas. And not even Rimmer would have necessarily been part of it because otherwise Rimmer would be like, oh yeah, these are all of the remains Mm. of the crew that Lister diligently gathered up and gave burials to. So it must have just been something Lister did on his own back or the scutters did.
0: It was interesting how it was that was originally going to be in the end, Mm. the famous deleted funeral scene, which did involve Rimmer as well. But yeah, clearly in the book universe, it was something that Lister did on his own. Yeah,
2: which is a Herculean effort, considering yeah. there's 10,000 of
0: them. Yeah. yeah, when they did it for the end, it was only supposed to be 168, not 10,000. Yeah,
2: and it's obviously, it's not explicitly sort of said, but if, if Lister went to all of that trouble to give all those people the closest to a proper burial he could, then this is his reward now, isn't it, for doing that, is is being mm. given a life with... His love. Oh, shit, spoilers.
0: Yeah. Although you, you would have thought that he'd have treated Kachansky's canister differently in some way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's that's true. I was going to say maybe they didn't know, but obviously they would have done. Holly would have known. and yeah. That would have been quite a nice know. thing,
1: actually. Well, I don't know if it would have been weird or, or, or nice, but it would have been funny if the, 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 the only one that isn't there amongst all the canisters is Kachansky's, and it's somewhere... Already on the ship, and it's always been. Yeah, he, it's always had by. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That would have pushed From it up to
2: these. sixteen pages, though it would have been too much. <laughs> um,
1: It'd have added an extra sentence or two.
2: Yeah, I wonder if like the the remains of the crew are like w- w- were possibly the only radioactive things r- remaining, and they all had to be jettisoned for for for, for you know boring yeah. reasons.
1: Oh, that's why they had to be treated before they could be done. Right. I, I oh, yeah. Understand. There
2: was. There, there is that. But yeah, they're, they're treated with treated with radiation, though. Right. Blasted with radiation in order to
1: kind of neutralise them or make them safe to handle or whatever.
0: It says bombard it with X rays and gamma rays, all kinds of stuff.
1: Yeah. So it seems like it. So that's to, because it's from a radioactive source. So it's that technically speaking, even the even mm. the powder would be dangerous.
0: That's one interpretation. Mm. The way I always thought of it, and I don't know who's right and who's wrong, is that them doing that stuff to the canister, whatever it was that they did, because it wasn't specific, it was like deliberately not specific, was them treating it or preparing it in some way for Kachansky coming back to life. Like there was some sort of magic science thing that they needed to do in order to make those remains, you know, tenable to be able to come back to life. That's what I thought that was.
1: Originally but the the fact that but it also makes sense that it could be something to do with the radiation
2: wise. It's almost in there as just a we need to put something in to show that some sort of preparation was done to make this work. Yeah. We're not entirely sure what it is that's happening. There was
0: some was it Pete part three? Pete. Who said it's a bit magic what happens in <laughs> yeah, this one. Yeah, like, it does feel a bit yeah, hocus pocus. A wizard did it. <laughs> There's a line in in the last bit that says somehow Holly managed it somehow Holly had done it and I think we just have to accept at this point that Holly with an IQ of 12,000 is basically a wizard Mm. and that if within the context of the book something seems impossible then as long as Holly's involved, then that's your explanation for how it's happened. Yeah. So something that Holly did as part of his reams and reams of computer printouts, again, all of this just printed out in machine code, which is just the the best, most efficient way to get the information across. Whatever it was that he did has made it so that Kachansky has gained three million years worth of unaging much, much quicker. Yeah, that's true. She'd have to be aged up. She would... God, hold on, yeah. So, so maybe only... that's what the
2: gamma rays are. They're a- aging her remains. So when she does get reassembled or in whatever way, <clears throat> she comes out as a 60 year old. But yeah. Or she's in her 20s, and we just have to accept that. <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> and their relationship is going to get much more inappropriate over time. Yeah. Yeah, so by default, what should happen is that it should take three million years for her remains in Backwards World. It should take three million years for her to come back to life as a 20-something or 30-something or whatever she's supposed to be when she dies. So something that Holly does makes it so that they don't have to wait 3 million years for her to come back to life, and she comes back to life three times the age of when she died.
1: This brings up a really strange concept, which is, so Kachansky died presumably in her, possibly late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Which means that there is a, Portion of Kachansky's life that she's about to experience that she has never, ever had before. So there's 30 years of her life that's going to be like completely alien. The memories are going to be like out of nowhere. There's going to be stuff added to her that she has never seen. There's information. Like, I don't even. The thing is, the backwards universe thing always kind of melts my brain a bit because it's only when they land on the planet that Lister gets the bruise and the ribs and the back. Like, it's only literally yeah. as they land that that happened. Yeah. All of a sudden, there must be just a point when all these memories and of things that you're... Yeah, these memories all of a sudden of all the things you you were about to experience appear in your head. Possibly.
2: Yeah. But also, let's forget for a minute how, what, like, comments they make about Kachansky in the book Backwards, uh, because I think this might be separate from this. Is Kachansky in this book intended to be... The same as Lister, in that she is a, a literally a forward-thinking. You know, she 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 does not have the backwards logic kind of um, embedded into her like, uh, like Lister. Like, would they both like be able to speak to each other forward and and just just have to experience everything backwards? Would they be able to mentally connect, or is the intention that she is of this universe and that she is a backwards person that doesn't think in forwards? Because I know which one they went for. What Rob went for in his book. And I'm not entirely sure whether it's the same intention as what is here.
0: I can't quite remember what is. What is, um, no, she, no, is
2: she is basically um, a... She is backwards. She is just like any other inhabitant of the backwards world. Okay. Right. She forgets him when they do, when they meet and Lister doesn't. So Lister uh, has to deal with that. Uh, spoilers.
0: Again, without getting too spoilery, in Last Human, she becomes part of the crew and it's that version of kachansky So presumably mm. Doug and Rob had completely different ideas about how that worked and so they've both taken them and done their own interpretation of in their solo books. That's interesting. And I think at this stage it's literally She smiles when she when he arrives home. It's yeah, it's about three or four sentences that we've got to go on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think it's possible to draw too many conclusions. Yeah. But they are clearly like they are together. Um because before he sees her actually he sees the photos of them together and that's how he's clued up that you know Kuchansky is his wife or at least his partner. And they, yeah, 36 years, they would grow young together. They had a whole new past to look forward to. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the intention is that, I don't know. <laughs> her brain will work the same as his because... Yeah. Well, because they've gone and rescued her canister. Yeah. They've got a canister of her remains. And so she's, she's gone from our universe into this one. Same as Lister. Yeah, I think Rob's got it wrong in backwards. Yeah. But we'll come to
2: that. And and when, when Lister arrives home, she's in the garden. She turns and smiles at him. Like, she's greeting him when he arrives home rather than yeah. turning and smiling to him. Like, oh, God, I'm glad you're fucking off out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if she was in backwards world, yeah. She's glad so, that he's leaving. <laughs> so that doesn't resolve why she's had 30 years added to her Life or, or anything like that, but but they're both you know, they're both experiencing stuff, they both have a place in this world still. Like, Lister's in the papers, he mm. has an obit, so presumably they've always been part of the timeline of this universe. And well, that's
0: yeah, that's another thing that messes with my head, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, in the same way that Danny, like, certain parts of it blow his mind, I can't figure out how, like, yeah at what point did Lister become part of that universe's timeline there? Nah. Yeah. I don't know. It's worth saying that none of this occurs to you when you read this for the first time. No. no. It all, on an emotional level, it all makes perfect sense and it's completely satisfying. And it's only when you, you're doing an entire podcast about 12 pages worth of prose that <laughs> <laughs> you go into.
1: I think that if I'm if I'm going to create an explanation as to how it works, I think that put it into a lot of like a scientific thing. That there's a thing where you can prepare your eyes to to receive images the way that your brain does so you can actually like have glasses that turn your vision upside down and mm-hmm. your brain eventually starts to make it. sense of that and flips the whole world as it and you it just becomes normal to you but when you take those glasses off everything is still upside down but your brain Until it cracks, eventually yeah. gets used to it so i think that that's basically what happens is eventually your brain just kind of switches to the new way of working, and then just becomes
2: yeah. logical at that point, like learning a new language.
1: Yeah, but yeah, it's really right. when you, when you talk about like you know consequence before action, it's just like yeah, <laughs> time's arrow no longer makes sense, and that like everything just is on its head, and it's fucking mental.
2: <laughs> and predictably, there was a debate sparked in the comments about <laughs> about <laughs> the logic of this because yeah, the 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 problem with backwards has always been. There is two competing concepts that, that never quite get separated or never quite live with each other. There's the concept of time running backwards, and then there's the concept of everything logical about the universe also being reversed. Mm. And they're two completely different things, but they are both present. When Rob and Doug do backwards, <laughs> they are both present. So you have the things like effect and cause. So um, I think... So the bit when Lister's in the traffic jam, so they're in a traffic jam, he sees ahead of him that there's a fire. The fire eventually goes out, yeah. and then they drive backwards past this the place where there was a fire. But that wouldn't have worked that way, because if they'd already driven past the place that there was a fire, there would never have been in a fi- in a traffic jam. The traffic jam would have happened leading up to the building. So the logic of that is that they're still travelling past the building but backwards. Yes. No, you're right. Uh, that that's one that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah. So that's wrong. The the paper, I mean like this the this paper is specifically really mentioned me the pa- though, the paper's completely
0: batshit insane because the concept of that is that his death was written about like almost everything else they've spent time and working out but even within 12 page part of which half is set on the backwards world they still it's still, still so easy in. to fuck something up oh, yeah. because yeah it makes no sense whatsoever because it's perfectly logical that a, you know an obituary would be written or you know in, a, in the personal column or like some um you know, old man died of a heart I mean it's a slow news day for a start, just some <laughs> random old man. Oh, that's a, a very '80s thing.
2: though, local papers with obituaries and stuff. Like, I don't think it really is. Much oh, yeah, of a it, must thing be, anymore. it must be a local paper. Yeah. Okay, I'll give, I'll give them that. Yeah. It must be a very local
0: paper. <laughs> if they had reported on it, then sure. But by the time Lister, who is now alive again, picks it up, then it that paper be in shouldn't print. exist anymore. Yeah, exactly. It should have been re- returned to the shop and then driven off in a van to have the text removed at the printers. Yeah. And then eventually it turned into a tree. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So, but the, 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 this is the thing. That's if the universe was one hundred percent just normal logic, um, with time running backwards. But that doesn't appear to be what they like. They always they're always trying to do the reverse logic as well as the time going backwards,
1: which is really difficult to do.
2: Which is <laughs> yes. impossible to do, as we have witnessed. And the
1: thing is, <laughs> when, when you watch the episode backwards, it. though, none of that occurs to you until you think about it.
0: Yeah. It's really
1: interesting because they genuinely do seem to get away with it, like for the most part. And then you start to scrutinise and then it starts falling apart, but it only falls apart when you really start looking at it. Otherwise, it does feel quite cohesive. And that's kind of interesting how they're able to do that still.
0: I think VHS did for Backwards. (laughs) I think there was a time when Backwards was considered like the best episode, full stop, when it first went out. And then when people started revisiting it again a few years later, when it was available, people realised it was complete bollocks entertaining bollocks but bollocks nonetheless
1: i don't mind the the fudginess of the logic as long as it makes the world seem odd and unreal and weird like that's the point of it that's the whole point of backwards world is it's meant to be you know alien to lister so everything's meant to be confusing even to the reader it's meant to be confusing but in a way that you're not really meant to grasp it because the thing is it just narrative wouldn't work if you literally stuck to the backwards logic the narrative wouldn't work because there's then you'd start running to things of like things would happen before you knew what it was about and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't... It, I imagine they had a real hard time fucking putting <laughs> these together when you think about how they like drafted this stuff out. I mean, like Future Echoes is a good example of like how the fuck do you start writing something like that? Yeah, yeah. I don't get how you yeah. write a self-referencing bit of prose. I don't get it.
2: How do you do that? With Backwards, I think I think the problem there is that so the... The concept of time running backwards and actions happening backwards, that's a really good visual gag that works well on TV. And the backwards logic is where the rest of the comedy comes from. So those mm-hmm. are the two, two places you need mind. loads of comedy, and in the moment, it's brilliant. The problem is, is that those two things coexisting completely kills logic and storytelling dead. So you have to make the trade-off. And so in the TV show, yeah, it gets by because it's a really entertaining, like... You know, everything's running backwards, and it's visually very fun. But, but I guess when when it when it translates over to the book, it's like the the logical problems maybe jump out a little bit easier because the book is more mm. concerned about a coherent story than um, an episode of TV necessarily is.
0: Especially as this is the conclusion of the entire yeah. book, and, and emotionally it's perfect, like you say. Yeah, I love the final chapter and particularly the last couple of pages of. Lister going home and seeing Kachansky there. Again, it reminds me of Seb, as a lot of Red Dwarf things do, um, because Seb read this passage at a wedding of some friends of ours because it's, it's, like, it's the closest thing in any of the Red Dwarf books to actual romanticness yeah yeah we had at the wedding we kind of had to ignore all the stuff about backwards and coming back to life and stuff (laughs) (laughs) it was either that or a certain scene in last human which we'll come to which would have been less appropriate (laughs) for a wedding but yeah it's really it is really lovely and jasmine being the thing that ties it all together Mm. so it's kind of back reference to the last part where lister grew a jasmine garden on garbage world in the letters kk for Kachansky. Um in here, there's a little clue that the mysterious old man who wakes up in hospital has Jasmine by the side of his bed. And then he comes home and Kachansky is tending to the Jasmine borders. And so, yeah. yeah, I don't really know what Jasmine looks or smells like, um, <laughs> but whatever it is, it's a <laughs> I'm going to Google it now. <laughs> Jasmine gives a richness and intensity to fragrances, a sweet floral note, but with a dead sexy muskiness to it. <laughs>
2: Ooh.
1: this is from the Perfume Society. So, you... you <laughs> yes.
2: this, this is from Perfume and Perfume Titan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, so it's yeah. I mean, it's it's romantic. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of The Witcher, Geralt and Yennefer, long long-standing romantic um, storyline, and Lilac and Gooseberries is the is is the smell that he associates with her, and it's, it's a big theme throughout especially during one of the games when he's trying to find her it's like almost following the smell of lilac and gooseberries through
1: i I just want to mention on the smell of jasmine does say here they have their own characters some smell medicinal some sweet some musky and some green i'd love to know how you smell colors that's quite a cool thing to to do
0: (laughs) that is a thing What's it called? Oh, the
1: synesthesia, which is the the synesthesia, yeah. where your where you, senses are kind of like
0: crosswired. It smells
1: of purest green.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like well, it's John Pomfrey can smell light. So,
2: <laughs> well, synesthesia is um, is seeing sound, isn't it?
1: It's not always. It depends. The synesthesia oh. can be different. So you can have it's, like, it's a little bit like it's like colour blindness. I think. So you can have red green colour blindness or. Um, but synesthesia can have like touch, smell synesthesia, or all the different. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely crazy. I think we've we've got a friend who has it, and it it's it's insane hearing him describe. Apparently, Annie Lennox makes him smell menthol when he hears <laughs> Annie Lennox, and that's really weird. Like it just it gives him the sensation of like a minty smell when he hears a voice. I find that absolutely extraordinary.
2: Listen, listen to Annie Lennox and while while having a shower with that herbal uh, herbal mint shower gel for really refreshing.
1: Every time we meet him, I'm like, right, okay. So what what does this do to you?
2: (laughs) Perform for me,
1: dance, monkey dance.
0: (laughs) Let's wrap up with a few comments. Pete Part Three. Strange how the ending of Better Than Life is very much similar to Infinity. Lister reunited with the pinball smile and not quite where he's supposed to be, but not having too bad a time. Yeah. Uh, Dave, yeah, the newspaper is a chronological fuck-up, but let's gloss over that. No (laughs) chance. (laughs) (laughs) This is still a lovely ending, and when I first read it, it was the ending for the novels, and it works. Lister somehow gets what he's always wanted, albeit with a twist and a time limit of sorts, and the final sentences are a lovely piece of writing. Grant Nader clearly do know how to finish a novel. I mean,
1: in terms of a time limit, it's a good one to have. At least then you have an actual, like,
0: knowing how
1: long you have, you can make plans. Yeah.
0: The bit in the middle's called life, and that's still to come. (laughs) Yeah. Shall I, for like the 20th uh, Dwarf Cast in a Row, make a Doctor Who analogy on that one? I'm going to make a West Wing reference in a minute, so you may
2: as well.
0: <laughs> as part of the Doctor and River Songs storyline, uh, which is, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically a, a love story between two time travellers, so everything happens in the wrong order, they know that the last night they spend together is... They spend one night together on um, this planet that I can't quite remember the name of, but... When they get there, they realise that one night on this planet lasts for thirty odd years, and so they know that they're spending thirty odd years together. Ah! And so they have their little l- life together there. Was that in one so, of yeah, the Christmas specials? Thing. It was in the Husbands of River Song. Uh, I haven't seen that yet.
2: It's <laughs> 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 massive blind spot that episode for me. I just had never got around to watching it, even though that uh, is yeah, era that of, of why it's a blind spot. That's <laughs> the era of Doctor Who that I'm a massive fan of. Just. <laughs> Yeah, it happens with Christmas specials for whatever
0: reason and finally dies. says while they didn't know it at the time I think this makes for a very strong ending to the Grunt Nailer novels, Kachansky is obviously a key figure for them and it's right that Lister is with her and also right that it's not an entirely conventional happy ending and yeah it's very dwarf, it's bittersweet yeah, yeah bittersweet could end at this point isn't an ultimate end, could be continued again it's, yeah. It's, it's literally textbook and that just about wraps up our discussion for this episode for this part of book um, which is longer than I thought it would be actually to be fair (laughs) but nevertheless let's have our conventional little sting of music and then do our last bits of business Ah, so Christmassy. Okay, a few uh, small points is the uh, next order of business. Uh, we've got a couple in the comments. Clem, uh, an unusual thing about the titles of the parts in both Grant Naylor novels, they're like Pet Shop Boys song titles with only the first word and any proper nouns capitalised. Perhaps tellingly, it's even Garbage World with lowercase w in the title, even though it's otherwise Garbage World with a capital W as the, as in the renamed Earth. Uh, I noticed yeah. that as well. Um, I didn't know that it was also a Pet Shop Boys thing. I've never really noticed that with Pet Shop Boys.
2: Is it some sort of literary standard for titles of things that are like to to do that specifically to even mangle proper nouns and override
0: those rules, like Garbage World. I don't know. Now that it's been pointed out, it seems like a mistake. <laughs> Garbage World not having a capital. <laughs> yeah, w. I was going to say like sure, the, the
2: capitalization of nouns is always. Is never overridden, sure. yeah. is it, by a sentence structure? It's always there. Speaking of titles, though, Pete Part 3 says The End and After is a wonderful title, and I agree, and it reminds me of the West Wing. <laughs> um, um, actually, it's more Sorkin-verse than West Wing specifically, but he always has a final episode in one of the seasons called What Sort of Day Has It Been? mm and it's 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 one of my kind of favorite and actually i was going to say the part in the ways from doctor who is a similar sort of title it's it's just a nice kind of kind of a thoughtful like this is this is this thing is written as the end of something this this is specifically yeah. an ending and you know it's going to have that feeling and it's just yeah and you should treat it that you way you should treat it that way yeah. yeah
0: another comment international debris the logic of forwards people on backwards earth is is a whole not worth going down <laughs> too late mate too late <laughs> What if they both stayed there until they were unborn? Who would their parents be? Even if we ignore the Ouroboros reveal, they would have to be genetically identical to their real parents, only living on Earth in the 1960s. Uh, Yeah. My (laughs) brain hurts.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Uh,
1: Yeah, that really...
2: As soon as you... uh, Who would have thought, as soon as you reverse one of the core laws of our existence, that things would get a bit complicated? (laughs) Because, yeah. um, I mean, I know that cause and effect isn't necessarily the rules everywhere in the universe, which is something I still can't quite accept. But, um... It's the fact
1: that, that something over there, as long as it doesn't directly affect um, you, can happen in any order, as long as those are not causally connected. That's the thing. So, something can happen in, with a star, you know, hundreds of thousands of light years away, and... Something happens here, relative, but you can have those two things happen in any order, and it wouldn't change anything. The difference being is the fact that it just there, there is no cause. Co- this thing over here did not cause this thing with you. So those thing, right. two things could happen in any order. There's no difference.
2: So as soon as you get far enough out, so um, chaos theory no longer applies. Anything can just happen whenever. It's it
1: become much more difficult to predict.
2: Yeah. yeah. Space is massive <laughs> and great big. It's like a big ball of pudding.
0: I have one final small point of my own that I'd like to wave in your face, which is a bugbear of mine, which happens a lot in drama in particular. The message to Lister that they leave in the newspaper, we'll pick you up in 36 years. Be at Niagara Falls by the souvenir shop at noon precisely. See you then. What the- so? Thirty-six years at noon precisely. <laughs> yeah, what we what we're going to do? We're going to meet at noon in twenty fifty-six. Exactly noon, twenty fifty-six. <laughs> I'd like to know how
1: they knew that there was going to be a souvenir shop at Niagara Falls. <laughs> oh mind you, is it one of those things that's always going to be there? Therefore, it's the safest place to kind of assume that we'll still be there in. Oh uh, yeah. Because they don't there know that's be.
0: there when they start. But it's a fair assumption that Niagara Falls will have a souvenir show. I
1: mean, Niagara Falls is probably still there.
0: <laughs> and Also, if they've dropped him off in England, <laughs> if they've dropped him off in Britain, where's he going to go to Niagara Falls? <laughs> it's a puzzle. Piccadilly Circus. We'll meet you at Piccadilly Circus.
2: Yeah, I uh, maybe there's a specific reason. Maybe there was going to oh, be a specific reason for Niagara Falls. Now I think
0: about it, there is a specific reason, but that's not until two books' time. So Yeah. And and that specific
2: reason might not have been the specific reason that Grant and were thinking of right now for The Last Human. Yeah, Uh,
0: Yeah. it's probably a
2: retrospective reason.
1: Great, another fucking hanging thread for us to pick up. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, this is when things get weird, right? I mean, you know, we were talking about Hitchhikers last episode, and it's weird kind of multi-versions, but like... Oh, yeah. A narrative splitting off into two directions like some sort of books-fizz sort of situation where suddenly you've got two (laughs) (laughs) books-fizzes.
0: Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the customary thing at this stage is to present our small passages to you, but Considering you know our small passages are normally a page or so long and there's only 12 pages in this entire chapter, we're going to have to do things a little bit differently for this one. And we're going to instead show you our tight passages. We've really been doing our best to be a bit less slack, a bit more tight with our passages. Doing our
2: exercises.
0: So we're just going to go for uh, single sentences that we enjoyed. And mine comes first chronologically, so... He watched as the boys raised the bones to their mouths and began to fill them with meat. <laughs> <laughs> it just works as a sentence.
2: It really amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, another one here that um, it really, really does kind of, really does make you think. It's very, very an emotional sentence. Actually packs a lot into one, uh, into just a few words. Mau bellowed the toaster.
1: Okay, my passage is from chapter four and it sums up my feeling about this, this podcast in general. His brain ached. <laughs> <laughs> That's my type passage for the day. Fair enough.
0: Good. <laughs> well, hey, listen. Hey, listen, we've, guys. We've all had, we've all had a drink. <laughs> I've had a lovely drink. We've done the hard part. We've made our way through uh the book club portion for this year, we've discussed two novels in full length in quite a lot of detail. Um, so, I think it's time to crack on with the Christmas party. And, uh, oh look! Someone's bringing over a, a cloche and under which it's it's some Christmas waffles! Ah, so you're a wa- waffle, waffle man! That's <laughs> Christmas. Merry waffles. They're like normal waffles, but with parsnips like on them. B- parsnips and brandy butter <laughs> and snow <laughs> and some brie
2: so did anyone ask us about a red dwarf christmas special ian <laughs> <laughs> quite a few okay. yeah
0: so we asked for christmas or festive related questions um dave asked a red dwarf christmas special yay or nay And if so, would anyone really want anything other than a live action remake of Red Christmas? When you've nailed it
2: as, like, when when you've created the perfect Red Dwarf Christmas story, then how how could you do anything but that, you know? I mean, they literally meet Santa, (laughs) the most perfect Christmas story of all time.
1: Red Christmas, I assume, is the um, the Mobiso, right? Yeah. So I don't think I've ever seen it.
0: Well, um, it's on well, YouTube. Yeah, I know, yeah, I really we'll...
1: should have watched it by now but it's, it, we'll feels it, like, it feels like time notes. I won't get back so I don't want to do that.
0: Well, I'll give you a brief summary from memory. First, It's in two parts. The first part is that they detect um, some unidentified object outside the ship and then they realise it's in the shape of a sleigh with some reindeer. And then Rimmer presses a button that accidentally flushes centre into space or something. <laughs> and then they bring the reindeer on board and they play charades with the reindeer. And Santa gets the correct answer to the to the charade from outside the window in space with no oxygen. Easy. And that, right. that's it. Okay. Right. So at the time we were, like when we heard that there was going to be original con- content for the Mobisodes. <laughs> so this was for anyone who doesn't know the Red Dwarf Mobile Service, which we've talked about before a little bit. Yeah um launched in about 2007 this particular part and and one of the main features was that there were animated versions of scenes from so like classic scenes like the red alert light bulb scene etc were rendered like take the uh, take the audio replace the video with some really bad flash animation and put it on people's mobiles and that was the gist but then they announced that they were going to be doing some original material with Robert and Chris uh, providing voices so basically Robert plays Crichton and Chris plays everyone else with impressions of Lister and Cat to do an original script for a Christmas special. There was only one problem with the plan. It was <laughs> bollocks. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they basically did a, a cartoon of Red Dwarf which is, you know... It was a cartoon, Even but it, can, it cannot be considered in any way canon, or indeed in any way good. No,
2: I would awful. I would put it along. I think there's another question along these lines, but I would I would put it in the same category as. And this is not a quality. This is this is not a, a comment on the quality of this other thing. But I would put it along with Prelude to Anarchy, in that I
0: wouldn't call it canon. It's it's a kind of a side story that exists on mm. its own. Yeah. well, we've talked we've talked about canon before with can't smeg won't smeg and trying <laughs> to justify that, and that we we concluded that if we there's a number of universes in Red Dwarf, then sure everything happens in one. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Places. Okay, that's better. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's weird because obviously this Red Christmas thing, if that had appeared in a smegazine, you wouldn't have backed an island.
0: Uh, yeah, I've taken this a done. little bit, I think, <laughs> but it's it's the fact that in. It makes Santa Claus a real person in in Red Dwarf, yeah. whereas in Meltdown, he's quite clearly the dialogue says that he's been posted from the fictional section. Yeah, that's which is true. wrong anyway. I don't know why they're pretending that Father Christmas isn't real. <laughs> Kids, an actual Red Dwarf Christmas special,
2: I would I like totally like any whatever whatever Red Dwarf could be made, then sure, like a Christmas yeah. special of Red Dwarf would actually be. Great fun, I'm sure.
0: If they're now going down the route of one-off specials, then why not have one that goes out at Christmas and is set... There's some sort of Christmas theme to it. They could have a whole year where, like, the only episodes they
2: do are specials, and they could do like a a, a really shit one at Easter that is basically an army recruitment story. Um, <laughs> one in the summer that's okay, but everyone will forget about. And then um, the uh, two part over Christmas where the crew just regenerate and
0: in, in which list regenerates
2: <laughs> I see what you doing. <laughs> i stuck to All of that was yeah. just so I could have a dig at Gareth Roberts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's weird whenever there's like contemporary. I mean, like, say Christmas is contemporary, it's not, it's quite It's quite an old tradition. Um, but like, whenever Certain they mention anything like that, like, they mention it in uh, I think somebody mentions it in
0: is it Al? lemons?
1: Is it no, not not well? There is lemons, but there's also uh, oh, do you remember or oh, Christmas Day? Do you remember what we did Christmas Day? Yeah, and it
2: was like, and dimensional, yeah. Unsurprisingly, there are other questions about and, that as well.
1: Yeah, there is, yeah, but but the the. It's it's really weird when we have like that kind of stuff mentioned in Red Dwarf because it's like you know like in the future it's, yeah. it's weird how these things are still about.
2: Yeah, it almost feels like it should. Be, their world is post our society in a way that like Star Trek is. Like, mm. does Star Trek mention Christmas? Is Christmas a I thing in Star Trek? Know. You can't imagine it being. I'm sure there's a, an
0: equivalent, but I'm sure the, it's yeah, not actually, what they consider. Captain's Yule Log. <laughs>
2: <We're> good.
0: <laughs> good but no i think it's not unreasonable to assume that christmas still exists if not 3 million years in the future then certainly pre-accident
2: well the problem is right is that as soon as you go get off earth and regardless of the like the primarily christian traditions around christmas in the west that we obviously know as soon as you leave earth you don't have the seasons anymore and therefore you don't have the winter festival, you don't have any you know, you have a whole new set of stuff. So that that's how you'd imagine like these religious traditions mm. go away because you're
0: you're away from the, you know, the literal yeah. physical place where they only make sense, mm. which is Earth. But then they do mark they do have the passage of time and dates and like they they take a sort of earth standard day, I think, yeah. on a dwarf. Um, so, you know, they have birthdays and anniversaries and everything. So the 25th of December still exists. And so yeah. Christmas might still exist. If they were to do a Red Dwarf Christmas special, then there's many things that they could do that are thematically Christmassy without necessarily being explicitly Christmas. Yeah. Like off the top of my head, like any other, like a lot of other sitcoms, they could do a Christmas carol parody. Yeah. Cause... <laughs> and it's a wonderful life type story might work very well on Red Dwarf. I'm on board with that
1: idea. Yeah, that is that is something. It's a wonderful life done with Red Dwarf casting crew, like a what if machine is exactly the. Yeah,
2: just adapt that part of the novel, but it's the show version of Better Than Life, where they can choose to just go in and out as they please, and they go in and live Lister's Christmas fantasy, and they're all there, and Rimmer fucks it up. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, I like that as an idea. That immediately, like like it's almost like a oh, do you remember when, like do you remember when we were better than life? Like it becomes a clip show at that point. Oh, do you remember when we were better than life? And we had, and I was in Bedford Falls, and it's like yeah, I remember, I remember, I remember.
0: remember. You could flip it and have Rimmer in the George Bailey role, and have it of him realizing that his life is worthwhile and that he has. He has achieved stuff in his life and it isn't a total failure.
2: You could have a mashup of Christmas Carol and um, It's a Wonderful Life, so he's a Scrooge and George Bailey character all oh in, in God, one. That, that is
1: so doable. You could mash those two together very easily.
0: If this was announced that Red Dwarf was doing a special that was going to be a parody of something else, we would lose our shit. We would not be happy.
1: <laughs> it couldn't be a TV show, it would have to be another medium that would present it. But again, we're talking about something that the Mobbistone ended up being, which was. Mm. something delivered in a way that wasn't a TV show that was and even then we hated it because of its you know the quality of it was just mm. not as as good as you want and also because it was how long is it? it's like five minutes right they're not even oh, not less, like less than that. that so it's like yeah less like, it's that. like a two minute idea
0: the, the snag with any waffle men where people ask us for our ideas is that we are not as good as uh, at writing ideas as Rob and Doug, no no, and so, don't ask us,
2: we always end up with something that's slightly serviceable at the end though like we usually like the journey usually takes us somewhere interesting, it's just we need someone with talent to kind of finish the uh finish <laughs> the journey. who knows what Rob might do, you know oh yeah, if Rob's the one that's you know gonna start messing about with red dwarf in in different formats like you know casting fans and doing like a you know lockdown theater thing he could you know. Sky's the
0: limit. Should we move on? Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be here all Christmas. We've been delivered some identical waffles in various places. Pete Part 3 and Manny are both asked for our favourite and worst Red Dwarf Christmas presents that we've ever had over the years. I've barely had any. In fact, pretty much everyone in their 30s,
2: I received Smeg Ups of Christmas 1994, four. 5, 4. four. Um, and I think that's the only Red Dwarf Christmas present because I was too busy, like, begging for like red dwarf videos throughout the entire year so it didn't really <laughs> focus during christmas
1: i tended to get the the red dwarf stuff as it came out mm-hmm. i wouldn't wait mm-hmm. for christmas to to get that kind of stuff but i think that smeg ups or smeg outs might have been one of the ones i did
0: get for christmas yeah 100%. i think ask any red dwarf fan over 30 and the best christmas present <laughs> they received was smeg ups in 94 yeah or smeg outs yeah yeah. smeg bo- um, ups 94
2: yeah maybe smeg outs was the one i got i think i got smeg up separately smeg outs was the literal like open it on christmas day but like if i knew that there was something red dwarf in the house that i wasn't allowed to have right there and then i probably would have <laughs> burnt the whole place down to be honest because like red dwarf is one of those things that, that was like you don't you don't you don't mess about and save up things for christmas presents like i want as many red dwarf things as i can have right now like it was the obsession you tend to get other things for christmas i don't know maybe that's just me micro machines and lightning seeds albums for christmas it
1: was never red dwarfy stuff anyway we used to get yeah. it because like i said i would just either get it myself or i wouldn't want it if it was like i don't know some sort of merch stuff i don't tend to i never wanted to tend to get that as a kid. Though.
0: when i got older and could Get my own stuff, then I would get my own red dwarf stuff straight away. But yeah. I had a good long while where I was relying on birthday and Christmas as being my only opportunities to get get the red dwarf stuff. I think that's probably just the very small age difference between me and you two. It yeah. probably accounts for that.
2: That's very kind of you to say. Very small age difference. It's, like... it's four years. I think as yeah. we get
0: older, four years is a much smaller proportion that's of our true. lives yeah. than it used to be. Uh, now it's a blink of an eye. But yeah, I I got. Before Smegups in '94, I'd got Red Dwarf three bite one and Red Dwarf four bite one for the previous Christmas, which was, you know, in retrospect, just give me a whole series rather than yeah. half of one and half of another. You fucking you saying uh, Red
2: Dwarf three bite one there gave me a bit of like a bit of, a, like a, a, bit of a, a tingle of excitement because Red Dwarf three bite one was one of the elusive videos for me for whatever reason <laughs> that was just you know that and um, six bite two i think were the ones that are just like that's a 50 50 guess the last yeah <laughs> the last ones to get and they're just for whatever reason were scarce in north allerton
1: in terms yeah. of like, the VHSs and stuff it's like i was just trying to work out when i actually started to get the VHSs, and it was well after series seven has come out right? right Yeah. i think extended might well have been the first video i actually owned I because there was quite a lot of really them around. On. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started to yeah. find all the others as a result of having that one.
0: Extended, I think, was possibly my last Red Dwarf Christmas present in right. terms of, you know, new material that I hadn't previously got. Because that came out I think yeah, that came out in ninety seven. So the same year that the series had been on air. The videos, the regular videos, this was back in the day when A video of something used to come out like a year and a half, two years after the series at the earliest. Yeah, and so the videos of series seven hadn't come out yet, but extended did come out. Yeah. By the time, by the time the series seven and eight videos were released, I was old enough to have like a paper round and to have money to save up to get them myself on the day of release. Yeah. But I think extended was therefore probably the worst Red Dwarf Christmas present I had was extended, (laughs) even though it was a good concept for a video and i'm glad that it exists and i was very glad to receive it at the time technically if there's only a few things that i got that were red dwarf related that is the worst uh, but that's only because smeg ups and outs were so good
1: i never knew there was another video that's like a companion to that but i think it was only released in australia
0: that was yeah because we we had extended and then separately three individual releases for series seven in australia they had extended which they whacked Stoke Me A Clipper on as well, so it was basically the first four episodes, some of which extended, and then they just released Series 7, The Rest, which was the back back half of the series. Yeah. Interesting. Sort of lazy nice Australian. dismissive
2: Australian. <laughs> um, am I right in thinking that by
0: 97 that the original videos had been technically deleted? Uh, they definitely had by... February 98, which was when the remastered came out, I think they deleted them in anticipation of all of them being replaced by remastered. Yeah,
2: also, it just occurred to me, isn't it really interesting that the term for the discontinuation of videos is deleted? I never really thought of that. It's like, I didn't know, it's I actually very didn't final, know that's what
1: the term was, and I thought you were talking about something else. I think. No, yeah, this is. I think really we're talking like, about like, the archives. It, it, that had just it's the, the equivalent of a
2: book it. going out of print. You're not, you're not pressing. You're, you're not like producing any new videos, and it's deleted. And basically, it's just whatever stock is out in the shops, in the yeah. warehouses. That's all that's left. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah,
0: deleted from the manufacturing process is the yeah, <laughs>
2: but it's only something I've ever heard with VHS's mm. Deleted from, catalog. Got I think yeah, deleted, deleted from the catalogue. I think it's deleted from the catalogue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Pete also asks, is Home Alone a Christmas movie? Yes. And I would like to meet anyone that wants to argue that Home Alone isn't a Christmas movie.
0: I wonder if he's doing a parody of the tedious, is Die Hard a Christmas movie question? Yeah. putting in something that is obviously a Christmas movie.
2: Yeah, very possible. Although Pete yeah. does have surprising opinions <laughs>
0: <laughs> at times. But yeah, unface face value, yes, Home Alone is a Christmas movie. So no, it has
2: Christmas imagery throughout it and it's it is also about love, family so and, is
1: being together. and So is Die Hard and so is Gremlin. So fuck that. <laughs> I don't care when it was released. It's set at Christmas. It's a Christmas
0: So Do you know what else is a Christmas movie in my opinion? A Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now come on. We're trying to get through these waffles. Let's not have an argument. <laughs> Yeah, but you're right, Danny, it's easier to argue that any movie set at Christmas is a Christmas movie than it is the opposite, because setting a movie at Christmas is a deliberate decision that's been made. You don't set a movie at Christmas for no reason. You do it because there is at least a tiny bit of the themes that you're dealing with that is relevant to Christmas. Therefore, if it's set at Christmas, it is a Christmas movie.
1: And the whole point of Gremlins being a Christmas movie is because it's meant to be a present that he gets, and that's why. There
2: you go, and that's all you need for it to be a Christmas movie. Yep. Because don't get your presents wet. <laughs> different Yeah. You know. Unless
1: it's a bath toy, or sitting.
2: unless it's a bath toy, in which case, <laughs> do <awful> under certain <laughs> circumstances, or a bath pot they can get. It to buy. <laughs> they can, but again, very specific timing is needed.
0: <laughs> After it's been unwrapped. <laughs>
1: yeah. Don't don't feed your bath bomb after midnight
0: to your gremlin. <laughs> to a
1: gremlin. They will explode.
0: Dave asks, uh, what would a pan dimensional liquid beast look like? And uh Finally. and Chris Carter asks, You have five minutes to hash out the plot of what happened that one Christmas when they fought that pan dimensional liquid beast from the Mogadon cluster. Go. Five minutes. Um, is <laughs> very generous. Uh, it's generous to assume that we will... That go- only gives to... us 28 hours.
2: <laughs> I was thinking about the, the hashing out the script. I have no idea what a pan-dimensional liquid beast would look like other than maybe... Liquid? Yeah, but pa- the pan-dimensional part... I'm kind of fascinated with like mathematics and stuff. So I was
1: like... I am slightly familiar with the idea of a four-dimensional object, but I tried to work out what a four-dimensional liquid would look like. <laughs> and then my brain exploded. <laughs> and I was like, nope, I'm not even going to try and fucking think about it because it just doesn't work.
0: What does pan mean? Does it mean... Across. Multi. Does it mean all or does it does it mean many?
1: I think pan is all. Like, a panacea is, is a, a cure-all. Panophobia is a fear of everything.
0: Yeah, it means all. So it exists in every dimension.
1: Everyone
2: in the world is in pan's people, technically. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God.
2: So, the Captain Jack um, in Doctor Who, he was described as pansexual. So, he literally,
0: like, attracted to any living Everything. being. All, yeah. 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 All things. Which has its own repercussions, which you're probably better off not going into.
1: Animal, vegetable, or mineral, I'll do anything to anything.
2: <laughs> this means so black adder. <laughs> Um so so all dimensions which um, in the book universe let's just say at 7 uh, I can't I can't remember 6 or 7 7 so they would probably have to defeat this thing in all of the dimensions so this is like a a christmas special episode where they have to dimension hop in, uh, into all of the different dimensions and uh. defeat this this liquid beast
1: ah you see now right. my brain is thinking that you have to do it all at once so all at once yeah. Okay. so the pan-dimensional meaning that it exists in all dimensions at the same time so that means that you have to create a system where you can exist in seven different places at the same time and therefore have to okay. attack it from seven different places in a,
0: a... so they have to split up and go their separate ways and so yeah you have Lister Rimmer Cat and Crichton they have to find Kachansky to be the fifth one Hollister and the Toaster yeah, Hoagie. Hoagie the Rogie has to do it. Hoagie, yeah. They get the triplicator,
2: and then they split themselves out again into good and bad. So we have the good and bads come back, ah. and they all fan out into the different dimensions to, to kill Interestingly,
1: because one of them's in the backwards universe, this is melting my brain already, is the idea <laughs> that you have to save the pan-dimensional liquid beast in the backwards dimension. Because if you don't do that, then you haven't killed it. Ah,
0: <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, but if this is the book universe, then everyone's backwards apart from everyone's us. Everyone's backwards. So therefore, we're the backwards ones. So that implies to everyone apart from whoever stays in this dimension. Ah, uh, I have a nosebleed. So this is a mess. This Christmas special's a fucking mess, basically.
2: Yeah. Dwayne Dibley comes back. So, yeah.
1: It's a seven episode series where every episode you deal with the same monster in a different way. In a
2: different way, yeah. And in a different
0: dimension, everything's slightly different. Different bits of the monster, so it's slightly different throughout. It's not just it doesn't look exactly the same everywhere. It's different aspects of the depending on the physics
2: of the universe that
0: you're in.
2: Yeah. Crichton's the one that says the pan dimensional liquid beast from the Mogadon cluster, right? Yes. So if it's from Crichton's perspective, maybe this was just a spillage and he's like overreacting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so all he has to do is mop
0: it up. It's a bit of Chinzano Bianco that's been spilled <laughs> yeah. on a pool table, but in Crichton's mind, it's a pan-dimensional liquid beast. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so you just have to go to the seven dimensions and mop it up, and then it's done. You had us
1: all—you had us all worked up with bazookoids and laser and It turned out to be one of Lister's yeah. socks. It's like that kind of situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: the real pan-dimensional liquid beast is the friends we made along the way.
1: <laughs> And then he becomes a regular cast member and then they have him forever.
0: And And then he gets put in the same cupboard as Snacky and Talky. (laughs) We have a question from Pob, apparently, who asks does Lister have a turkey vindaloo? Yeah, if you like. But I would like to take this opportunity to discuss something which I've been meaning to mention in various um, commentary episodes recently, but haven't. At some point over the years Lister's diet has changed. And now, in the Dave era, he eats pretty much anything. There was a time when it was implied that literally the only thing he would eat was curries, not Mm, least in Hollow Ship. On one occasion last June, he had a pizza and didn't eat it until Crichton poured curry sauce all over it. But at some point, that transformed to just anything spicy. And so you've got him in an episode of Series 10. Is it Lemons? What's this? Uh, When it opens with him having a big kebab that he drops everywhere and spills chilli sauce. Entangled, I think. It is entangled, yeah. They got away with it because it was still a big spicy thing because he had all the chilli sauce. But then in Series 10, in 11 and 12... In Crisis, Crichton describes a a big fry-up, like the Lister special, which is implied that that's his regular breakfast, which isn't at all spicy. It's just a big fry-up. He has a big old plate of chips in m I think it is, uh, for his birthday. Uh, And 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 his um, slap-up roast dinner in Can of Worms. Yeah, so yeah, at some point, the joke has changed from Lister only eats curries to just Lister eats crap, like anything (laughs) that's unhealthy.
1: Well... What about last day when Crayton comes in with the maple syrup and the waffles and the
0: maybe it's only after it's been in the bin where it fell into uh, last night's <laughs> leftover curry pot <laughs> had a bit of sauce left in that's <laughs> oh, the, that's, that's the reason he wants to eat it after it's been in the bin
2: yeah that's horrible <laughs> um, and also turkey vindaloo I'm th- I'm thinking about it because. I mean, tur- turkey's kind of like a slightly more fragrant chicken, right? It, it's, it's got a bit more taste to it, <laughs> and I think that'll be really lovely. I think a turkey vindaloo would be brilliant. I think it'll be absolutely lovely.
0: Yeah, yeah I good. often substitute turkey for chicken in recipes, like not just at Christmas, because it's um it's a slightly different texture to the meat, but apart from that, it's it's got much the same properties, but it has just slightly more flavour, and it's leaner as well, mm-hmm. but it has slightly more flavour mm. to it.
2: Turkey burgers, fucking turkey brilliant. Turkey
0: burgers. Um, Yeah, I often have diced turkey breast instead of diced chicken breast in things, and I'm pretty sure I've done a turkey sarg before, Um, and that was very nice.
1: Yeah, it sounds great. I, I Yeah, mm. I mean, it, it It doesn't sound much dissimilar from chicken. And to be honest with you, um, most meats in most curries absorb all flavours. So it's
2: just, yeah. You know, it's, oh, yeah, it can it be totally a black canvas delicious. turkey. I am so hungry right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: well, let's just we'll, we'll wrap up with it. We've got a couple of more Christmassy ones. Anything that's not strictly Christmas, we'll save um, for For the new year. Um, Al T uh, said, I hope this episode is just you acting out Bill Pearson's Christmas episode script. It's not. I totally forgotten about that. (laughs) It's not, but yeah, we'll put that link in the show notes. Why not? If anyone wants to revisit that, maybe we'll talk about that another time. Mm. Bill Pearson, bless him. Yeah. And so we'll finish with uh, Christopher Davis asking, which do you think is the most Christmassy feeling episode? So out of all the currently extant episodes... I mean, Meltdown does have Father Christmas in it.
1: And he has a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much diehard right there. So yeah, definitely. It's weird actually, because it, it, even Lemons feel slightly Christmassy. And I think that's yeah. more to do with the fact that the opening title has the star with the red dwarf going to like the sort of the...
0: That's true, yeah. It starts with a nativity reference. Reminds
1: me very much of Life of Brian, which is absolutely the opposite of what I imagine <laughs> the intention was, but yeah, that whole thing of Red Dwarf following the star at the beginning—it yeah. does feel very. That does evoke that kind of Christmassy feeling.
2: I am right in thinking that Lemons
0: was filmed right before Christmas, right? Right after Christmas, right after right Christmas. it was. The first two episodes were before Christmas, and the, uh, and the yeah. second four after okay. Lemons was seventh, sixth, so, or seventh. So, of guess January Fathers
2: and Sons. I, I saw Fathers and Sons, and I saw Lemons, and they—they both very strongly make me th- feel. Of, think
0: about christmas <laughs> because um, yeah i think fathers and sons was the 22nd or the 23rd or something yeah, like, yeah. right Crazy. right close so yeah for that reason that feels <laughs> christmasy to some extent the promised land i guess in that case then because last christmas in fact i think it was exactly a year ago as of when we're recording this was the first part of the promised land recording
2: mm, okay
0: and that definitely felt like the i th- i think the crew were wearing santa hats at times because it was like they'd obviously been working and this was their last day before christmas so but that's not really there's nothing in any of those episodes that suggest christmas it's just no. that they were recorded around christmas and some of us one of us was there maybe
2: <laughs> yeah that's the thing is that it just it's this is not the show like you know we've just been talking about what a red dwarf christmas special would be like precisely because there isn't an obvious
0: Christmassy red dwarf thing that exists, you know. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just trying to think if like what is other than like the, specifically our Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> coming and Jesus being born. Christ. What is it what is Christmassy? It's like it's like family, it's warmth and it's it's sort of feel good, redemption. I'm trying to think if there are any red dwarf episodes that have those themes. <laughs> no. It always has a slight on the current of bleakness, doesn't it? That, yeah. Um... Back to Earth Part three has some sort of redemptive Christmassy qualities, like Lister realizing that he needs to go back and fight for Kachansky and that he needs to wake up and, and start living his life and, and start mm. improving. Um that's kind of Christmassy, I guess, isn't it? I guess, but that weekend was so hot. It was it was literally Easter, yeah, it was literally Easter weekend. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I mean Easter weekends not traditionally a, a boiling hot weekend but that weekend was
0: fucking roasting. But Easter yeah. is traditionally not Christmas.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Easter is I would say Easter is the opposite of Christmas. It's the exact opposite of Christmas. <laughs> Even though it is the rebirth
0: of our Well, yeah, Jesus the, Good Friday is the opposite of Christmas, but Easter Sunday is just the sequel to Christmas, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, in conclusion, there are no Red Dwarf Christmas episodes. And (laughs) and there will will never be. be. And the only previous attempt was Red Christmas, and that was dog shit. So, on that note... (laughs) (laughs) Hang on,
1: before we move away from that, though, wasn't there a... Was it for YouTube, or was it for like a clip show when they had Lister in a Santa hat?
0: Oh, okay, yeah. The most Christmassy-feeling Red Dwarf episode ever is actually Back to Reality. Because, um... 22nd of December 1995 there was a one-off repeat called The Best Ever Red Dwarf, which was basically they'd taken the poll results from the most recent fan club poll and done a little countdown of the top five and repeated the best episode, which was Bet's Reality. But there was a very short, like, 30 second introduction to it recorded right. by Craig in the sort of smeg-ups, smeg-outs style with the Red Dwarf log overlay, um, and it's him mm-hmm. staggering around in a in a Santa hat, reading the results of the poll from the back of his poppadom, but he accidentally eats the last bit. And <laughs> at number one, oh smeg! I've eaten the th- fucking thing. Mm-hmm. In your is you cunt. Tell that, me what it is. Is that technically? Is that where? Is
2: that the moment that the solo Dug era starts?
0: <laughs> like that, that
2: feels thematically like okay. <laughs> now we're into the series seven
0: era. <laughs> but as is, you know, it's churlish really to criticise the no, thirty-second yeah. sketch, but we will. It wasn't very good, but it was exciting at the time. I remember because I tuned in yeah. for that, and, and well, I thought it was just going to be a repeat. And I was I was going to like obviously in nineteen ninety five I would watch anything. Remotely Red Dwarf related Even though I had them all on VHS at this point Yeah Yeah. because something
2: being on TV Had you know
0: like on live TV Was more meaningful I guess Than it is but yeah the fact that there was this Extra little mini sketch at the top Was a was an unexpected Bonus really Yeah,
1: Yeah. And it's nice that they they, you know went to The trouble of making Mind you, What did you say 95 95 so yeah that's
0: mm, Yeah that's I think Rob and Doug had split by this point I'm
1: gonna say yeah. ninety five.
0: That's uh, if not around, then pretty much at that point. Oh, uh, Smegups was ni- Smegups was ninety four, and that was credited as being written by Doug and Robert Llewellyn. So, even I don't think Rob was involved in the production of the Smegups tape. Oh, mm. okay, of course. Yeah. So it's it, obviously we know that it was at some point between ninety three and ninety seven that the split happened. But yeah, it was definitely around this time. I mean, uh, Red Dwarf Seven wouldn't
2: have been far off being in. Pre-production um, in Christmas ninety-five because it was
0: in yeah. production throughout ninety-six.
1: So that's the most Christmasy thing that's going to exist in the Red Dwarf universe. Oh,
0: so yeah, that little skit is confirmation that Christmas does exist in the Red Dwarf universe. Yeah, and it's taken us to the very final minutes of this Dwarfcast. Remember it? Yeah, but that does <laughs> give us a good out, and in the end, that's all that matters. <laughs> exactly. So that was waffle Men Ah, so you're a Waffle, waffle Christmas. <laughs> Christmas Waffle Men. Well, it's getting late now and we still have to fit in the mandatory annual viewing of It's a Wonderful Life before Christmas Eve is out. So it's about time you luck fucked off. Uh, And that concludes our Dwarfcast business for this most difficult of years but we will return in January 2021 to continue our Dave Era commentaries with Series 12, Episode 1, Cured. And then, of course, the book club will be moving on to Last Human. Yes, Last Human, it is the next book in the series, even if Backwards does have a more satisfactory follow-on from the end of Better Than Life. Now, having learnt our lesson in terms of fluctuating chapter lengths in these first two books, we're going to have to do Last Human a little differently, as there's only three parts. One of them is tiny, the others are fucking massive, and one of them <laughs> is literally half the book. Uh, <laughs> so we are going to split it up into our own more manageable chunks. And the first podcast uh, will take in the prologue, part one, Siberia, and sub-chapters one to five of part two, Time Fork. Basically, the first 80 pages. Yeah? Got that. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Leave your comments on those bits of Last Human in the article for this podcast over on www.ganymede.tv. And if you want to submit a topic or a question for a future Waffleman, uh, keep up to date with our dank red dwarf memes, or just say hello and stroke our egos, you can find us on Twitter.
2: Twitter handle is Ganymede Mead Heighton. Okay. so this should give
0: you an idea of the kind of person we're working with oh, okay. Before we go we just want to say a huge thank you to anyone who's listened to us this year for sticking with us as the relatively straightforward process of talking shit into a microphone has largely replaced our usual in-depth written content due to time constraints and indeed for supporting us when we had to take an unscheduled break following the biggest and worst curse ball that 2020 threw our way One of the few positives to come out of this shit show of a year is that the three of us have really got the taste for podcasting again, and this has been our most prolific year ever in terms of releases. Uh, Without making any promises, obviously, it's our fond hope that we'll be able to go back to giving you a wider variety of content again soon, but while still maintaining this pace for Dwarfcasts. We may not be fast, but we'll get there in the end. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas. Stay safe. Get that turkey stuffed. Hang up your stocking on the wall. Happy New Year. Don't let the bells end. Thank God it's them instead of you. Merry Christmas again. And as always... Head by, everybody. Head by.
1: Thank you for listening to g DwarfCast and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our DwarfCast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. <laughs>
0: One last thing before the disc, oh, if you've indulged a little too much over the Christmas period already, then you might require a little recap of the story so far. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you switched accents halfway through a word. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> they go to rescue Lister, but due to time dilation, 34 years have passed, and he's made a house made out of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> they go to rescue Lister, but due to time dilation, thirty-four years have passed and he's made a house out of rubbish. Wait. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just amused by my own prose. I wrote this like two years ago. It's
2: like it's like as if one thing naturally follows the other even though <laughs>
0: <laughs> Due to time dilation. He's made a house out of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh